Welcome to Music for Life, exploring the purpose and value of music to humanity's enrichment. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is Arthur Rubinstein playing a famous piano piece by Frédéric Chopin, often referred to as the Minute Waltz, but more appropriately the Minute, as in Tiny Waltz. One of Chopin's biographers notes that the composer originally called the work the Little Dog Waltz because he was inspired to write the piece after watching a dog chase his tail. And today on Music for Life, we are going to explore music of the standard repertoire intended to depict or imitate various animals. In a slightly different Sounds of Scripture segment, we're going to talk about sacred vocal music of the Baroque and Classical eras that contain text about animals and how those animals are portrayed musically in these sacred vocal compositions. And in a slightly different Classroom Corner segment, we're going to talk not about music's impact on the student, but how music impacts animals themselves. All this and more on a unique episode of Music for Life, which I've titled Carnival of the Animals. Regular listeners of this program will probably remember an episode I did on music that was intended to depict or imitate birds. I also did an episode on music intended to depict or imitate various aspects of water, including compositions that were intended to depict fish. Today, I want to broaden that to the larger animal kingdom. As the title of this program suggests, we will explore Camille Saint-Saëns' composition called Carnival of the Animals, but there are plenty of other fun compositions to explore along these lines as well. Usually, we begin our journey with a segment called Sounds of Scripture, where I survey the Bible's many references to music for a longer, sweeping historical perspective on our episode's theme. But I want to approach this section a little differently— Usually, we go through the Bible's references to music and see how they tie into the theme. The Bible does mention the singing of birds, which we've discussed on that previous episode. Beyond that, there might not be much to discuss on this subject other than perhaps the number of animal references in the Psalms, but that's not too in-depth of a study as relates to music itself. So I thought it might be more beneficial to play examples from the sacred vocal choral repertoire that reference animals. And this will also serve as our Baroque and Classical era examples for today. In the Baroque era, George Friedrich Handel wrote a couple movements of his oratorio, Israel in Egypt, that was to depict the plagues of frogs and then that of flies and locusts. And in the Classical era, Franz Josef Haydn wrote an oratorio on the creation, in which he musically depicted the creation of the animals. First, let's hear the Handel example. Now, I did play some of this on a previous episode about how composers would use the music they wrote to describe the words, this technique of making the music sound like the text, which is called word painting. But let's hear these again from this context. This is the alto solo, Their Land Brought Forth Frogs, depicting the plague of frogs in Egypt. The text of this opening section is, Their land brought forth frogs, yea, even in their king's chambers... 
You hear the jumpy nature of the animal depicted in the introduction, particularly in the violins, a motive that continues throughout this section. This movement also portrays the plague of pestilence on the cattle. The text of that section reads, He gave their cattle over to the pestilence, blotches and blains broke forth on man and beast. Here is a recording by John Elliott Gardner conducting the English Baroque soloists and the Monteverdi Choir. The soloist is countertenor Ashley Stafford. That was the movement depicting a plague of frogs and pestilence upon the cattle in Egypt. We heard those things aptly represented in George Friedrich Handel's music from his oratorio Israel in Egypt. We heard countertenor Ashley Stafford. The very next movement also depicts smaller creatures in the animal kingdom. The text reads, He spake the word, and there came all manner of flies and lice in all quarters. He spake, and the locusts came without number and devoured the fruits of the ground. You can hear these insects aptly portrayed in the quick string passages. This is from the same recording of the Monteverdi Choir, the English Baroque soloists, and conductor John Elliott Gardner. He spake the word.
That was George Frederick Handel's depiction of the plagues of flies, lice, and locusts from his oratorio Israel in Egypt. We heard John Elliott Gardner conducting the English Baroque soloists and the Monteverdi Choir. We are discussing two sacred vocal works, one from the Baroque era and one from the Classical era, as part of our Sounds of Scripture segment. That was an example from the Baroque era. In the Classical era, I want to discuss a portion of Franz Josef Haydn's oratorio, The Creation. I want to play two examples from this. First, let's hear a bass recitative that describes God creating all kinds of creatures. This work is in German, as are all the recordings I have, so I'll explain what the text says, and you'll hear how aptly the music describes it. The first specific reference to animals in this movement goes like this, Roaring in his joy the lion stands. And you'll hear... The next phrase is, The agile tiger lively springs, and you'll hear... Then, the swift stag lifts his antlered head. With flying mane, the noble horse, courageous and powerful, leaps and neighs. These animals are depicted this way. The next phrase talks about the grazing oxen and sheep, for which the music is appropriately serene. Then, like chaff, the insect host spreads out upon the air in whirling swarms, which I bet you'll be able to identify when you hear it. And finally, the worm trails its slow length upon the ground, which is the last musical depiction of creatures in this movement. Let's hear this from the same chorus, orchestra, and conductor we heard in the Handel recording. The bass soloist here is Gerald Finley. Das Wollenreiche 
hatte breit dicken Schwarm und Wirbel, das der Insekten. That was bass. Gerald Finley singing about the creation of various creatures in the animal kingdom, ending there with the worm. In Haydn's oratorio, The Creation, we heard John Elliott Gardner conducting the English Baroque soloists and the Monteverdi Choir. Let's hear one more example from this. This is the rousing trio and chorus just two movements prior to the one we just heard. It depicts a glorious scene of creation. First, the soprano soloist, Sylvia McNair in this recording, discusses the rolling hills and cool streams of creation. The tenor, Michael Schada here, discusses the merry flocks of colorful birds populating the air. Then the bass, again Gerald Finley, talks about the sea creatures, various schools of fish, but also from the deepest ocean bed, Leviathan rolls up, born on the foaming wave. Finally, all three of them sing, How manifold are thy works, O God, who can grasp their number? To which the chorus answers, The Lord is great in his might, and his glory endures forever. Im stetem Gefühl, 
Ohren Lebes und wendet sich Lebigatan. Auf schäumenden Wellen Mond, auf schäumenden schäumenden listening to Music for Life, 
I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In today's episode, we are exploring music of the standard repertoire intended to depict or imitate various animals in an episode I've titled Carnival of the Animals. We just explored some sacred vocal music from the Baroque and Classical eras that served as our Sounds of Scripture segment. We just heard a trio and chorus from Haydn's The Creation, and it depicted a scene of fowls of the air and creatures of the sea. Now, of course, the centerpiece for a show titled Carnival of the Animals would have to be the suite of the same name by Camille Saint-Saëns. That represents our main example from the Romantic era today. We've already heard Chopin's minute waltz, originally intended to depict a dog chasing his tail, as Chopin's biographer suggested. In earlier episodes, I've talked about how Mendelssohn depicted the sounds of a donkey's hee-haw in his Midsummer Night's Dream Overture. So let's focus our Romantic era discussion on this 14-movement suite by Saint-Saëns. The piece is scored for two pianos, two violins, viola, cello, double bass, flute, and piccolo, clarinet, glass harmonica, and xylophone. Saint-Saëns wrote this humorous work after a misfortunate concert tour. He wrote it purely for fun and was adamant that it not be published in his lifetime. He later changed his mind about the swan movement only, but did leave instructions in his will for it to be published after he died. I've played a couple of these movements before. The Swan is the most famous of these, of course. I also played the movement intending to depict the elephant, which features the double bass instrument of the string family. But let's hear the other movements, starting with the first one, titled Introduction and Royal March of the Lion. This is scored for strings and two pianos, with the strings initially carrying the melody, while the rapid piano scales represent the roar of the lion. Then the melody switches to the pianos. As we listen to these movements, we will be using a recording by members of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra with Anthony Goldstone and Ian Brown, pianists.
Introduction and Royal March of the Lion, the first movement of Camille Sasson's beloved 14-movement suite titled Carnival of the Animals. We just heard that march-like quality in the introduction and then the roar of the lion represented in the two pianos particularly. We're going to continue exploring this piece using a recording by members of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra with Anthony Goldstone and Ian Brown pianists and Owen Arwell Hughes conductor. The next movement is titled Hens and Roosters, which features the two violins, viola, two pianos, and clarinet. There is a pecking theme in the pianos and strings to represent the relentless bird pecking. Later, the piano plays a very fast theme meant to represent the crow of a rooster. That was Hens and Roosters from Sasson's Carnival of the Animals, the second of 14 movements in this suite. The third movement is called Wild Asses, referring to a mule from Tibet. The movement is subtitled Swift Animals, as this animal was known for its great speed. You can hear this represented in the two pianos. That was the third movement of Carnival of the Animals by Camille Saint-Saëns, meant to depict an extremely swift mule of Tibet. To contrast that swiftness, we come to a hilariously slow fourth movement in this work titled Tortoises. What's hilarious about it is the quotation of Jacques Offenbach's rousing Can-Can melody. However, it is quoted so slowly here to represent the tortoise, and I can't help but think of these animals trying to do the Can-Can in extremely slow motion.
the slow and entertaining tortoise movement from Camille Saint-Saëns' Carnival of the Animals, quoting Offenbach's famous can-can melody from his operetta Orpheus in the Underworld. Next, we have a movement that I played on a previous episode, The Elephant. If you want to hear that, you can listen to the Fiddle Family episode in our archives. This features the large fiddle that stands upright, known as the double bass. The sixth movement of Carnival of the Animals is called Kangaroos. Scored for two pianos, this movement represents the hopping animal by utilizing patterns of hopping intervals preceded by quick notes we call grace notes. The patterns increase in tempo when the pitches ascend and slow down when they descend. We're hearing a recording that features pianists Anthony Goldstone and Ian Brown. That was the bouncy sixth movement of Camille Saint-Saëns' Carnival of the Animals, titled Kangaroos. We're hearing a recording by members of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra with Anthony Goldstone and Ian Brown, pianists, and Owen Arwell Hughes, conductor. The next movement features a string quartet, two pianos, flute, and a glass harmonica. The latter instrument there helps depict the tranquility of the underwater existence in an aquarium. And that's the title of the movement, Aquarium. What a beautifully tranquil movement, Aquarium, from the Carnival of the Animals. That movement featured the unusual glass harmonica to help create the effect of tranquility underwater. 
The eighth movement of this 14-movement suite is titled Characters with Long Ears. It's a short movement where you hear just two violins, each alternating playing high and loud notes or blatting low notes to represent the braying of donkeys. So that was the two violin parts impersonating the braying of donkeys in that movement of Carnival of the Animals by Camille Saint-Saëns. The next two movements will probably remind some of our regular listeners about an earlier episode where we talked about the many pieces inspired by bird sounds. The cuckoo movement, which is the ninth movement, is represented by the clarinet, which Saint-Saëns noted should be played offstage. And then the following movement, the tenth movement, continues the bird theme with its title, the aviary. In this movement, you'll hear strings, piano, and flute. This jungle ambiance is created as background noise by the strings, while the flute portrays the main bird. The pianos provide the chirps and trills of other birds occasionally in the background. So let's hear the latter of these two movements that I just talked about, the aviary. The Aviary, which represented birds as if heard in a jungle, from Camille Saint-Saëns' Carnival of the Animals. Now, surprisingly, Saint-Saëns titles his next movement of this Carnival of the Animals suite, Pianists. Perhaps this represents two pupils practicing their scales, and the original score directs the performers to make many mistakes to sound like pupils. Because these students are too busy practicing, they miss the procession of the animals. Or perhaps Saint-Saëns was being a little more insulting to pianists themselves, implying that their non-musical sounds as young students are similar to that of discordant animal noises. Either way, the humor of this movement fits well into the overall humor of this suite.
<laughs> uh, two pianists practicing their scales, either meant to imply that these busy students missed the procession of animals being depicted in Camille Saint-Saëns' Carnival of the Animals, or it was meant to imply that the sounds of these still awkward piano students fit right into those made by the other animals in our procession. The next two movements of this suite I've played on previous episodes. First is Fossils, which features the xylophone, and I played that on our rhythm and percussion episode titled Music's Heartbeat. Now, when I think of the xylophone, I can imagine it could look like someone playing on the fossils or the ribcage of a T-Rex or something. But fossils may have been more of a musical reference. As Sassons kept quoting numerous famous melodies, this led Leonard Bernstein to contend that the inclusion of all these overplayed melodies represented the musical fossils of Sassons' day. The next movement, which I've played on our Music for the Birds episode, is the Swan. So I won't play that again here. We'll just move on to the following movement, which is the 14th and final movement. It is scored for the full ensemble. Again, two pianos, two violins, viola, cello, double bass, flute or piccolo, clarinet, glass harmonica, and xylophone. The movement begins similarly to the introduction and quotes many of the movements. The final animal to be heard in this movement is the donkey, likely also a humorous attempt to imply who always gets the last word. We've been hearing a recording by members of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra with Anthony Goldstone and Ian Brown pianists and Owen Arwell Hughes conducting. listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. Today's episode is titled Carnival of the Animals, and in it we are exploring music of the standard repertoire intended to depict or imitate various animals, and we just heard the final movement of that 14-movement suite by Camille Saint-Saëns, which is serving as a centerpiece to this episode, his Carnival of the Animals suite, a recording by members of the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra with Anthony Goldstone and Ian Brown pianists and Owen R. Well, Hughes, conductor. 
We continue to hear animals represented in compositions as we move into the 20th century. The most famous example would have to be Sergei Prokofiev's work for narrator and orchestra, Peter and the Wolf. Now, I've extensively discussed this piece in a segmented way. We talked about the bird, duck, and cat on our episodes that discussed the flute, oboe, and clarinet. We discussed how the wolf is represented by the three horns in our brass episode, and I played a portion to represent that. But I'd like to play another portion of this work that represents the wolf. This is where the wolf is being distracted by a bird flying around its head, which allows Peter to trap the wolf. The wolf tries to snap his jaws at the bird, and you can hear the snap of the instruments to represent this. Here's a recording that features Patrick Stewart, narrator, with the Lyon Opera Orchestra under Kent Nagano. The bird almost touched the wolf's head with his wings, while the wolf snapped angrily at him from this side and that. The bird did worry the wolf, how he wanted to catch him. But the bird was cleverer, and the wolf simply couldn't do anything about it. Meanwhile, Peter made a lasso and carefully letting it down. Caught the wolf by the tail and pulled with all his might. himself caught, the wolf began to jump wildly, trying to get loose. Peter tied the other end of the rope to the tree. And the wolf's jumping only made the rope round his tail tighter.
So that's a portion of Prokofiev's Peter and the Wolf, which depicted the snapping jaws of a wolf as it tries to chomp on the bird fluttering around its head. Then we heard how the horns represent the wolf trying to free himself from a trap. That was a recording by the Lyon Opera Orchestra with conductor Kent Nagano and narrator Patrick Stewart. Another piece from the 20th century I think worth playing on this episode is a short piano piece by Bela Bartok. We've heard all sorts of animals represented today, but not this one. This is called Bear Dance. Here's a recording of the composer at the piano. That was composer Bela Bartok playing his musical impersonation of a bear dance. Next, let's have our classroom corner segment. This is usually where we explore different methods and curricula for introducing young people to music, or we see the impact music has on the young mind. Well, for this segment today, to tie into our episode's theme, I want to show some interesting research that shows music's impact on animals. For a few years, our family had a little dachshund who loved to sing. We called him Puccini, after the famous opera composer, of course, but also because his nickname Pooch or Poochie seemed perfect for a little dog, too. Well, true to his operatic name, whenever my wife would sing, vocalize, or have her voice students do the same, Puccini howled along, even matching pitch most of the time. Now, as unscientific as that finding is, there are some legitimate studies that show the profound impact music can have on animals. A study in 2001 proved that cows produce more milk when provided with music. The kind of music even made a difference. Apparently, Beethoven's pastoral symphony had more of an effect than the Beatles back in the USSR. But it wasn't just classical versus pop. Some pop songs had a positive effect on milk production, too. And it had to do with the speed. Slow music yielded more milk than fast music. And before I'm tempted to give you puns stating how much cows were moved by this music, I'll just state that the study shows that the milk production increased 3% which researchers found to be, well, utterly fascinating. 
According to the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra website, dogs relaxed when listening to classical music and showed increased stress when listening to heavy metal. For seven days, researchers placed dogs in either a silent environment or one with classical music. Dogs in both silence and classical music environments exhibited more relaxed behavior than in noisy kennels. However, dogs listening to classical music displayed even fewer signs of stress and less variation in heart rate. A Glasgow study reaffirmed the result that classical music was more relaxing for dogs than silence, and certainly more relaxing than heavy metal, which seemed to have a detrimental impact on canine anxiety levels. Cats, true to form, didn't replicate dogs' results, but what studies with cats have shown is that they, like some other animals, prefer species-appropriate music over classical music. What that means is these animals respond best to music that shares the frequency range of their unique animal communications. On one of our early episodes of Music for Life, we talked about the health properties of music in humans. Similar results are being found in the health of animals and even plants. The harp has been found to be particularly soothing to the animal kingdom, and when it comes to plants, and there is far more about this than I have time for, plants have been known to respond positively to music. So it's not only young people, but all of nature, which can be positively impacted by the wonders of music. This has been Classroom Corner. You are listening to Music for Life. I'm your host, Ryan Malone. This is KPCG. In today's episode, we have explored music of the standard repertoire intended to depict or imitate various animals in an episode I've titled Carnival of the Animals. We explored some sacred vocal music from the Baroque and classical eras that served as our Sounds of Scripture segment. We explored the quintessential composition of the Romantic era, which shares the same title as this episode by Camille Saint-Saëns. We heard some great examples from the modern era as well. We just had a classroom corner segment where we showed the impact of music on the animal kingdom itself. Along these lines, I want to mention that we'll have a link in the show notes that shows the impact that jazz has on cows. It's quite entertaining to watch. We'll also tweet that link through our social media pages. Remember, you can follow this show on Twitter and Facebook at Music for Life PCG. Finally, let's have our dessert for today, where we hear some lighter fare to end the program, usually something from the popular or folk tradition, but sometimes just some lighter classical fare, and the example I have is certainly lighter classical fare. It's an operatic-style vocal duet by the famed Italian opera composer Gioacchino Rossini. The title of the duet translates to Cat Duet, and the only word of text sung by these two cats is Meow. Despite the very formal and traditional accompaniment coming from the piano, here's a recording by Felicity Lott and Anne Murray with pianist Graham Johnson.
You have been listening to Music for Life, a production of KPCG 101.3 on the FM dial in Edmond, Oklahoma. From the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus, I'm Ryan Malone. Thanks for joining me.